Welcome to the 27th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we are talking about the pervasive nature of bitterness and how it impacts people, teams, and organizations. This is more of a fuzzy topic than usual. There's more touchy-feely here than we often get into, but it is important, and it is it is so widespread in the industry that we need to talk about it a little bit at least once. Who hasn't worked at a job for a couple of years and felt really bitter about having to continue with it? About some of the folks you work with. About technology choices. About the fact that you can't push forward any changes or that no one will own a project. Having to support the old and busted while somebody else works on the new shiny. Or uh, getting, uh, you know, having a senior level title while having less than junior level responsibilities. Yes, having a senior level title and then told by your management that you do not have the authority to make any decisions. And if you look on Reddit at Arsysadmin or a bunch of the other IT-related subs, there are legion of people who are just inherently bitter and they're cranky all the time and they're just they're nasty people at this point. And they're the people that you don't want to work with anymore. They may be geniuses in their field. They may be really good at what they do, but the bitterness has basically consumed them and they are left angry all the time and trying to subvert other people's projects as a validation of their own. I'm not saying everybody does this, but the the extreme cases get there. And it's a very dangerous thing because a healthy sense of cynicism is important in this job. It helps you get things done, look at things critically and make sure that things are designed well and you're not being optimistic all the time. But when it gets to the point where it's kind of poisoning you and poisoning the culture of your organization, it can be really awful. Yep. Starting the little uh, show notes document we have, I did make a little quip and a joke that I said some bitterness is good. And and, and I'm, I'm saying that kind of facetiously because when you have a, a little bit, you, you may have a drive there, but it's it's very easier. The tendency is for that bitterness to just grow to the point to going from caring and trying to fixing things to just basically going to you just don't care and whatever and just let the let the place burn down. Well, like many things, it's a there there are extremes to the spectrum. Uh, sometimes you show up at a new place to work, you're really excited, and and you look at everything through rose colored glasses. And as you uh, get more familiar with the company and actually figure out how real things are happening, um, actually figure out your teammates that you're working with, um, that rose-coloredness doesn't always stick around. And sometimes it, it, it turns toward bitterness. Yeah, once you find out where the bodies are buried. Yes, it's easy to say, oh, hey, we use Prometheus. We use all sorts of cutting-edge technology to, to monitor our fleet. And then you start working that level of company to be in that uh, cutting edge environment and, and push forward the state of the art of monitoring. And you realize the horribleness that that is also you know behind the curtain of Nagios and of how things are siloed. And, and yeah, sometimes the real world is a whole lot different than what was promised in the interview. The other problem with bitterness is it becomes infectious to culture. Um, 
it, this is kind of like the workaholism thing. If once you hire one workaholic in an organization, the entire organization generally tends to trend that way, and that can be really unhealthy in terms of work-life balance and a bunch of other things, and it can lead to, to early career burnout and and horribleness. But with bitterness, it it's also infectious. Once you have somebody who's on the team who is extraordinarily unhappy to be there and unhappy to be working on the things that they're working on and feels that they've been wronged somehow by other organizations or other silos or however it is, that bitterness, it, it starts off usually as a joking kind of friendly thing, but it sets in and it becomes not a disease, but it becomes a symptomatic and everybody picks up on it. And then the people who are happy and actually are trying to change things for the better don't want to stay anymore. Yeah, there's a there's a big difference, yet a very fine line between a, a healthy dose of snark and turning down the path of of not being healthy. So how do we avoid sitting in our jobs and slowly getting more and more frustrated and bitter at some of the things that we see going on? It sort of ties in a little bit with the, the rose-colored glasses. I, th- I think you've got to keep some perspective on it. And also try to, you know, whenever you start to see the ugly or the underpinnings of something, try and and step back and go, well, you know, I've been in that situation before. I've made those kind of decisions and and try to understand why decisions were made and not necessarily go straight to the negative and it's and just and and actually try to put a positive, positive spin on things. I think that helps out tremendously. The knowledge that that no no new employer is as rose colored as they may describe themselves in an interview is, is definitely helpful. Uh, one of the things I remind people often, uh, very often, is that it's not so much we don't want to use a new shiny; it's the journey we have to make to get to where we are, get from where we are now to where we want to be. And that's that's always the hard part, and it's always the limiting part, and that's that's why we keep our jobs. I find another part of helping the culture along is having clear communication with management, not only your management but the management of other teams, and be able to give early warnings about, hey, I've noticed that this team member or this group of people they're acting in a in a somewhat hostile way nothing nothing overtly bad but something's going on is there something i need to understand like was there a death in a family recently or was there you know a hire that didn't work out or is something else going on that's not a surface level thing that will help me understand why they're acting the way they're acting because the for me the fastest road to bitterness is not understanding the decision making process behind things and so many times the decision-making process isn't technical. It's all tied up in the people that work in these these organizations. So reaching out for understanding or just for the warning of, hey, maybe some somebody should pay a little more attention to, to this particular thing can be really helpful in averting disaster. And even more simply, um, sometimes your team has chosen a specific way to, to prioritize their work and how they communicate. And you've got to communicate and work with a different team that's chosen a very different, perhaps even orthogonal uh, way of how they prioritize their work and communicate um, uh, upwards through management. And even though you're working for the 
for the same company, for the same goals, perhaps on overlapping projects, it still gets more challenging than it should be to uh, work with different teams that have a, a different methodology of how they decide to get their work done. As a personal story, I went for an interview with Netflix many, many years ago. And in one of the the interview sessions, the interviewer stopped and said, you seem really bitter. And we have a we have a culture that we try to maintain pretty pretty healthily. What's going on? And he may have to point blank because he wanted to to make sure that there wasn't something I wasn't the problem. And it occurred to me that I've been working in universities that were underfunded for so many years that bitterness was just sort of part and parcel to the culture. And that was part of what helped me decide to get out of the university work work environment because I worked with some amazing people who technically were unparalleled. But the overall culture that had settled around all of IT there was just awful. And it had become from, you know, 15 years of neglect and abuse by budgetary considerations and management and other things. I've not heard many good stories from university IT. And the, the battles are so fierce because the stakes are so low. There's very little way to measure the success of a university IT team. But um, you know, as a corollary, uh, finding things that can be successfully measured about your team's progress is is something that always very much helps with culture, helps with communication, and helps allay the sense of of bitterness that can set in. Because you can actually point to something more or less physical and say, "Look, progress." And I know that's one of my personal challenges is is figuring out how to measure and and metricize the successes that I've had um, in my in my responsibilities. Uh, usually once I accomplish a task, uh, that might be a small task. It might be a, a larger task that's more important to the company. Um, but usually once things are done and accomplished, I kind of say, okay, that's done. Let's move on. What's the next thing? And, and I think uh, management again, plays an important role uh, where they not only hear problems and frustrations, but they fix them. Because, uh, I mean, that's that's where a lot of this comes from, is where you feel uh, not able to change the circumstances of the issues you're working on or the problems you face. And when management just turns a blind eye or just, well, that's how we've always done it, we're not going to do anything differently or you know, just a, just a, hey, we'll look into that from management. It was a long way to alleviate a lot of these problems. The other thing that management can do when I've, I've had a number of ex- incredibly good bosses who, who are actually probably leaders rather than just bosses. And one of the things you can do to help on the management side of things is communicate clearly and early about changes or disruptions to process to say, okay, you have been wanting to do the new shiny thing budgetarily or because of some other reason that really doesn't matter technically. We can't do that right now. We're working on this other thing. And if that's communicated clearly ahead of time, instead of being, I know you're halfway done with the project you were just working on, but we have to cancel it now and deal with it later. It can be extraordinarily helpful. I have a, a great story back at when I worked at university and we were pushing forward with a 
a rather ambitious project to increase a home directory space for the students. Because, um, well, odd that folks need space to, you know, do their homework. And uh, I was pushing through a rather ambitious uh, space increase, figuring that there would be some negotiations as far as the amount of storage and sand space that were budgetarily available, what our goals were, and all that stuff. And everyone approved the project and didn't say anything about uh, negotiations as far as that sand space, the cost-benefit ratio. Um, They just said, this is a great idea, Jack. And so there came a date that I was going to push the button on the upgrade. I had everything prepped and in place, configured. And that day we had our normal uh, weekly staff meeting where the manager at the time looked at me and told me that we were canceling the upgrade. And, yeah, that that took me a few minutes to recover from. Because from absolutely no communication to stepping through the entire project and seeing it to success, to my finger hovering above the button to make it official, to being told that that, that was not what we are going to do. It's a bitter pill to swallow. Communication is good. Working remote, which I do, uh, communication is, and culture is, something you choose to have. Um, it's, it's not, you can't just get a bunch of smart people and say, hey, y'all work from IRC or something, and expect everybody to communicate well and, and things to, to work well together as the company grows. A, a good remote culture um, has to be something that folks think about and want to have and actively pursue. Uh, and that's a very difficult from a more traditional um, office workspace, even an office workspace where there's a couple of remote offices. Um, so that's, that's a challenge that not everyone um, does as well as, as others. I think the culture for in-person offices is overlooked very frequently. And I think it's as important as the remote the remote office culture in that building a sense of community and trust within the organization is paramount to getting things done in a reasonable way. I have worked in, in organizations that timelines are not shared and re- reasons for decisions and, and projects are not shared until the very last possible minute. And if you if the staff had known earlier on why why we were prioritizing one thing over another, it might have been easier to understand or adapt or to, to rearrange timetables. But when you don't hear about it until the end of a six month project, and you go, "Oh, that's why this is this is a big a big deal for somebody." It makes it difficult. Yeah, I, I've been at some places where, even though I'm, it wasn't a remote job. Uh, in terms of communication from upper management, it felt like I was a remote employee who never talked to anybody. It was just that amount of communication just didn't happen. And that's destructive and horrible. That makes that makes the work product that we are producing as highly paid, well-educated, you know, operations folks, it, it makes the work we do less valuable because it's either not done correctly or it's done in haste. Or it's done in a lazy fashion because, hey, what's the chance this will actually work out? And you don't want that culture getting into everything else. 
that happens. And once it sets in, it's it's a slow moving train to get enough inertia to overcome. Yeah, especially if the the team leads or the the smarter guys of the bunch uh, have that level of I, I don't even want to say snarkiness because a little snarkiness is good, but it, but but are just negative all the time. That can really impact the team. I always wondered how much the the bitterness factor impacts um, the fact that a lot of younger folks don't usually stay at one employer for more than uh, two years or three years maximum. And that always feels like a very short time for me. I feel that I don't really understand the problems and understand my place in the uh, institution unless I've been there for a year or 18 months. Bitterness might play a little bit in that. I, I don't know. I, I think that's that's more of a culture thing nowadays that our, our industry has gone I mean, I through. I totally get that in IT, you're not going to take a job fresh out of college and spend 30 years with IBM and, and retire with a pension. I get that. That's not the, the world we live in now. Right, but I mean, at the same time, you, the job you get, you, you're probably not going to see a pay raise or any terms of or any better benefits or anything unless you change jobs. That is sadly very true. And so, unfortunately, the only way to get a pay raise or to, to better yourself usually is to switch jobs. And until you get a good bit of years of experience under your belt, you're job hopping. I made it a point. My la- the last place I worked at was six years, um, and part of the reason was because I, I just I decided when I started the job at first I was like okay I'm gonna stay here for at least uh, I think my target was was four years because at that, at that point I had been changing every year to two years, um, and I'm I'm with you Jack I. By the time I left, I was an institution. I mean, there was just so many things that I had touched or that I was instrumental in that I had a lot of knowledge. But it probably wasn't even until maybe even the last year, maybe two. So so for me, three to four years before I was really, I don't want to say effective because I was obviously doing stuff the whole time, but really to the point where, I mean, it was like I could come in I knew exactly what needed to be done, where this or that was located. It, it, just everything clicked. And that does take time. And depending on the size of the organization, that could take even longer. Yeah, when I joined Jack at university, um, it was fully a year before I was I, before, I, before I felt competent with the things the rest of the team was doing. It took a long time to spool up just because there were so many moving pieces with so much history so that much it, institutional it, knowledge. Yeah. They have to absorb all of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I recently changed. I mean, recently it's almost coming up a year here soon and I'm, I'm with you, Brennan. I'm just now getting to the point where I feel, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually accomplishing things on my own, uh, you know, getting things done that, that are, that I'm able to do without pestering people too often or anything like that. So it's uh, it's definitely a process. So in summary, keep your head up, try to communicate as clearly as possible about all of the things that are going well and going poorly, and don't let the negativity overwhelm you, because once you do, 
that's pretty much the start of the end times. If you if you have negativity, you need to. That's a sign that that means you need to communicate that something is not well communicating between you and your manager and potentially another group and their manager. Um, and that's to me that's just a a flag that that you need to spend some time uh, working with your management and working with your team to sort of address that particular issue and really find out what's what's actually going on there. But yeah, um, my ethos is really try to stay positive, be polite to people you work with. Um, I, I Even when folks come to me and ask me really annoying questions, I tell them, and I really do, I want them to ask me questions because that's the way I can communicate with them and I can figure out um, what their uh, base level of knowledge is and perhaps where um, I can build better documentation or or otherwise better communicate. Um, and those principles those principles do a lot for for not getting burnt out and for not feeling that pressure of, of bitterness uh, in some of my projects. That wraps it up for the 27th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. We have been Brenda Diesendorf, Jack Neely, and I'm Jared Watkins. Please take the time to rate the show on iTunes. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you would like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at, opera- at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. Thank you, and good night.